There were children come forth for a children's message. Good morning. So glad to see all of you up here. Wanted to talk a little bit about our epistle lesson and just a general idea. Paul talks about this, and the Greek word they use there, he says, Among sinners, I am the protos. And what he means is, he is the worst. It's not something you want to win at, right? He's saying, I'm number one when it comes to being a sinner. Yeah? And someone can someone remind me, what is it? that St. Paul did that was so bad? Do you remember, James? What did St. Paul do to other people before he became a St. Paul? Does anybody remember? St. Paul persecuted... Oh, go ahead. He persecuted the church. He locked up other Christians, carried them off into jail, hurt them, imprisoned them, lots of various things. So he actively persecuted, did evil to the church, to Jesus' people, right? We would understand ourselves to be Jesus' brothers and sisters. So literally, Paul hurt and harmed the brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. And what does Jesus do? Does he walk away from Paul? Does he say he's not worth anything? No, he turns Paul around. Turn around, guy. Let me talk to you. He turns Paul around. He changes him through this amazing experience. He humbles him. Then Paul confesses his sin, and he becomes Jesus' chosen instrument. Paul goes from being the worst sinner ever to being God's chosen instrument. That's amazing. It's amazing what God can do through the gospel. It's amazing how God can forgive people and love people. And most important, I think, from this story today, there's lots of things we can take from our epistle lesson, but I want you to remember this, okay? There is no sin that you can do that would make you completely useless in God's kingdom. There is no sin that you could commit that God can't make something wonderful out of you. He is gracious and merciful. He wishes to forgive and change you. Make you new. Okay? I want you to remember that. Always and forever. This person who was the worst of sinners became the leader of the church. It's an amazing thing. Okay? So let's pray together. Let's fold our hands and pray. Guys, let's fold our hands and pray. Okay? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love sinners. That you forgive sinners. And we would ask that you would indeed love and forgive us and help us to do many things without you that we are not capable of doing. Feed us your word and give us your Holy Spirit that we might grow and become the people you wish us to be. We pray all this in Christ's name and all God's people said, Amen. All right, well, we're going to sing our sermon hymn. And as we do, you guys may return to your seats. In the name of Jesus, amen. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost.
<clears throat> Just the other day, I received another letter from the B.L. Lipham Circus and the Flying Giuseppes. You see, from time to time, I receive word back from the B.L. Lipham Circus, regaling me with the events and the happenings going on as they travel from town to town, entertaining the children with wonder and teaching powerful lessons besides. Well, there they were in Bug Tussle, Kentucky. And they sent me this letter, and that's where this adventure begins. <clears throat> I'm not sure I've ever told you about Zavros Toloni. Well, he is a fine Greek man who over the years had become the circus's knife thrower. He learned the skill from his father, who was the first knife thrower at the Beale Lippum Circus when it all began. Zavros loved his father. Often he would help by bringing his father his knives to him or some other little errands during the show, running things back and forth. His father always encouraged him that one day he too could be a great performer under the big top. One day Zavros was just a wee little boy and his father gave him his first throwing knife. Now I know that might not sound safe, but this is the circus after all. They do things differently there. It was a simple and small knife for a boy who was wee. You can imagine that between stops and during stays in the circus there is lots of free time. There is school, of course, and clothes, packing and performing, but often they are secluded from the towns they were in, so there was a lot of free time. Zavros practiced and practiced and practiced day after day. He started with large targets, then moved on to smaller ones. Then he began practicing hitting things on the move or things thrown up into the air as it falls. He got so good that the kids would collect old mini donuts from the booze, throw them up in the air, and Zavros would bullseye them from 15 yards away. It was a most enjoyable game. Zavros was added into the act when he became a teenager. He would often compete with his father in the act. It's what sons do. But soon it became more than that. Zavros wished to show the world that he was as good as, if not better than, his father. It led to a simmering pot of resentment between the two of them. It broke his father's heart. How Zavros just wished to best his father and not be like him. He wanted Zavros to take over, but Zavros wasn't ready. One faithful night as they were competing at a fevered pitch, Zavros' father clutched his chest, fell over backwards, stopped moving. The crowd laughed at first because they thought it was all part of the act, but Zavros knew better. He ran to his father's side, but he was already gone. It was a long time before Zavros wanted to ever lift a knife again, but Mr. Poiman, the leader of the circus, came to him and wanted him to consider taking over for his father. They needed the act and Zavros was more than capable of filling his father's shoes. Only, that's not how Zavros felt. You see, like anyone, Zavros at times felt vulnerable, unable to do the things everyone thought that he could. It was that knife, you see, that knife that his father gave him, it gave him courage. 
He practiced with it so long, it was like an extension of his hand. Every tough trick was easier with that old familiar friend. Well, his first night back was not as great as he would have liked. And as he was beginning to throw his first knife, a great balloon exploded in the background. The sound threw off his shot. He was startled. He missed. The knife glanced off the top of the target, flew up in the air, and disappeared. He finished the show, but it was a shaky one. And he went to look for the knife after. He could not find it. After the big top was struck and they moved on to the next town, Mr. Poiman asked the entire circus to come out and walk the grounds one more time and hope that they might find the knife, his knife, a special knife, his favorite. But it had disappeared. It's terribly hard to lose something that is so special. This happened to me once. My first few years here as a pastor, I had a pectoral cross that was my grandfather's. It's a small, unassuming cross, just a little bronze, simple cross. I'm sure to whoever took it from my car, they thought it looked like gold or something important. It really was maybe worth less than $10. To the person who took it, it was virtually worthless, but to me, it was priceless. And I still think about it, and it still hurts that it's gone. Things are things, but people, people are much more important, and as much as it hurts to lose a thing, it's much harder to lose a person. In our gospel lesson today, Jesus is doing what he does. He is going to the people who need him who want him, who are crying out for forgiveness, that he desires to give. The Pharisees and the scribes judge Jesus as a sinner because of who he dines with. But regardless of what these sinners have done, regardless of their occupation, Jesus and his father felt the same pain when they walked away from the faith, when they walked away from the good father, when they walked away from the good shepherd. The father and the son mourn when their children are lost. And they have the same joy when those same children come home. So we see in our text one of the most beautiful instances of gospel I've ever read. And when that sinner comes home, and when he comes home, He calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You know the problem with parables and stories like this? You've heard them a lot. It's hard to come at them in a different way so that you hear them fresh and new again. We love this story, but because we love this story, it is burned into our brain and we can become to lose focus. Let let me remind you, we were conceived 
of our mother protector, knowing love and care from her, but also inside her womb, knowing nothing but darkness. When we were born into this world, we were blinded by the light. Our cries echoed off the walls of the hospital because the light was blinding to people conceived in sin. In the story, we see the dregs, tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners, people who had fallen away from the Lord. Now, we love the grace of God in this parable, but can we put ourselves in the parable completely? Are we really like these sinners? Well, we were born into sin, the sin of our forefather and mother, Adam and Eve. They sinned against the Lord, and their sin passed down from generation to generation. It came to us as a people born into the world. Make no mistake, you were born just as guilty as the people in this story. Sure, you were born into the world with a small little body and big beautiful eyes and perhaps large curls on your head, but it doesn't change the story. We were born as sinners. But I almost wonder, could it be even worse? Could we be worse than the sinners of the story? People who love the forgiveness but don't like the accusation, we don't appreciate people knocking over our idols. We hold out evangelism trainings in this place. We hold out Bible studies. We hold out catechesis and Christian fellowship. Often I am told that the divine service where God meets man and gives us wonderful gifts is too long from God's people, from some of you. And I hear all too often, I can't make it to trainings, I can't learn about evangelism, I can't be here for Bible study because my life is just too busy. No, we have to get out of church on time because I need to be home by noon to park myself on a couch in front of a TV for six hours of football. Am I wrong? I know I'm right because I'm talking to myself. We're too busy to volunteer, too tapped out to give, too tired to pray. We are sinners, like those in the parable. We can pretend like we're not. We can say we're better, but we aren't. At least they were willing to come to Jesus, know he is the font of all goodness, and repent of their sins. We desire to keep all the gospel and confess none of the sin. Before our baptisms, we were truly lost. We were as sinful as it gets. We were children of the devil and citizens of his kingdom. We were lost then, and our good and gracious Father sent his Son, who came down into the world at the right time to save the world, to redeem the world, and to establish the wonderful sacrament of holy baptism. We can say to ourselves, I was never a lost sheep. I was always part of the church. Nor was I alone out in the wilderness like the sheep in this parable. Nor did Christ come and find me and carry me home. But indeed, this is true. Through water and word, he did seek you out. 
He found you in the devil's stronghold. He grabbed you by the hand and pulled you out through that water and word. And then he joyfully rested you on his shoulders and gleefully carried you home. This is the truth. This is the beautiful song of our Father, for he plays and sings through his Son, Jesus Christ. It is our song. We were once sinners who went astray. We were once lost in darkness in the predilections of the world, and our Savior sought us out. He found us. He brought us home. We are just as much a part of this parable as any person that Jesus is talking to at that moment. And even today, we wander away from our confession. We do it even now. We like to think we're never lost, but we are. We wander away from our confession, and we chase idols that we think will make us happy. There are two eternal truths. Christ is the good shepherd, and all his sheep at one time or another have gone astray. Let us have joy when sinners repent and receive forgiveness. Let us remember that our Savior, our Good Shepherd, forgives and leads us home. His voice calls out through word and sacrament. He desires you to lay aside anything that pulls your attention away from Him and follow. For He has nothing for you but green pastures and still waters. He wishes to do nothing but support you and love you. Do not worry, little flock. Your good shepherd loves you and wishes you to follow where he will provide shelter, still waters, and good grazing. He loves you and joyfully puts you on his shoulder when you confess your sins and lay your idols aside. He calls yet again today. Come home. Speaking of the joy that Christ has for you and for all sinners who repent. Let me tell you, finish the story about Zavros. He had been doing fairly poor at the show. Without that special knife, without his father's gift, he never felt confident. He couldn't do the things he wanted to do. He was shaky. One night after the show, a young boy came up to him and asked if Zavros might teach him how to throw a knife. Remember, this is a circus. They do things differently. Zavros obliged because really no one was paying very much attention to him because his show had been, as I said, shaky. The little boy said, you know, I, I actually found a knife once. I have one we can practice with. He went into his bag and produced a knife. And wouldn't you know, Zavros' eyes became wide. His mouth agape with joy because in the little boy's hand was his knife, his broken, old, worn-out knife. Where did you find this? The boy said, I was at the show in Papa, and I had a big bag of popcorn. My grandma took me. And that night, as I was watching TV late, 
and finishing my bag of popcorn, wouldn't you believe it? There was a knife in the bottom of my bag. It must have just fallen in. Zavros squealed with joy. He said, I'll do you better than show you how to throw a knife. You come back tomorrow. Bring your friends. I'll pay for everything. And we will have a party and celebrate. Because the thing that I love the most from the man I love the most has come back to me. And that is just another story from the B.O. Lipham Circus traveling through your town or mine. If you see them, won't you say hello to them for me?